Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. On this episode of Obsessed with Design, we are on season two, and this is episode number 71. I'm catching up with Brad Flowers, co-founder of an agency in Kentucky called Bullhorn. Now, fair warning, Brad's a writer, not a designer, so we unpack how he's still obsessed with design in spite of the fact that designer is not on his title. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Brad Flowers. Okay, guys, welcome all the way from Lexington, Kentucky, Brad Flowers. Brad co-founded branding agency Bullhorn in 2008, and Brad's degree in literature serves him well in his strategy and language work during the branding process. So Brad, I am excited today to talk to you about your story, uh, about Bullhorn, of course, and maybe even about drifting. So Brad, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Hey, thanks, Josh. I'm pumped to be here. Well, we will um, dig into all of that here in a second, but I found out when I was doing a little bit of um, snooping on you, a little creeping on the interwebs, that you grew up near us, just outside of Indianapolis. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if you know this, but one of the things about living in Kentucky that you can't really fess up to is that you're from Indiana. Um, so that, that's not so, <laughs> that's not something that comes up all the time. Uh, but yeah, my dad um, my dad was a farm or well, yeah was a pharmacist, and he worked for a company called Hooks, which has since been oh yeah uh, purchased probably several times, several times probably. And they had this really strange promotional strategy where they started you at the very very smallest town. And, you know, slowly promoted you. And I think that it was basically to see kind of who they could weed out. Yeah. So I think in our first, you know, I don't know, my first 10 years, I think I lived in eight different small places in Indiana. Oh, man, that's uh, that's a lot of moving. I mostly grew up uh, on the south side of Indianapolis. So people that aren't from Indianapolis, I would say I'm from Indianapolis. People who are from Indianapolis, I would say I'm from Greenwood. Oh, cool. Yeah, my uh, my business partner is not too far from there. Yeah. So... We're going to have to get into this drifting thing too, but the thing that I always love to start off our conversations with is that I'd love to know about how you found yourself as a writer of all things. So we, we actually let, let Brad in through the obsessed with design door. Although he told me he admitted he's not a designer, but uh, you know, anybody who co-founded a branding agency, I think, I think qualifies, but I want to know as we like to say, your origin story. So tell us a little bit about how you got from, from where you were to co-founding an agency. Yeah, that's a complicated one. Um, you know, I was thinking about design solutions earlier and I think, um, in an early one, you know, I was just, I was just remembering, uh, looking outside and seeing the snow and uh, this, and this is kind of like an, in, I think, uh, to feed into the stereotypical Indiana upbringing, uh, was thinking about how to like shovel off the snow so you could play basketball on mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the back yeah. <laughs> basketball court. So I think that was maybe my, my, my best first earliest design decision, uh, uh, solution was to figure that out. But let's see writing, you know, I think, um, growing up, I was, I was super, I was really into basketball and into sports in general and, um, as in my parents even more so. And so there was a sort of push there. And at some point, somewhere around maybe my sophomore or junior year, I was introduced to a couple of pieces of literature that I felt like were applicable. And all of a sudden, like this idea of, of writing kind of like speaking immediately to somebody, I, uh, there was this, like this the feeling that it was, it wasn't just like homework or a chore or something you had to do, but, um, there was this kind of immediacy to writing. And so I think originally I was probably more drawn as a reader, uh, and I'm still like, um, a pretty, I'm still an avid reader and I have kind of a long, constant long list. Um, so I think it first, first started there and then, then writing came, came along and, you know, I was interested in music, played in bands, wrote songs, um, but then also more like long form kind of boring stuff, which is somewhat more applicable to what I do now, like doing journalism and writing for the school paper. So I think that's that's kind of the, the short version of how I became interested in writing. I guess it's primarily as a more as a reader than a writer. 
So were you, um, were you a singer in the band? No, that's the funny thing is, is like, you know, that's one of the things, like if I could, if I had a skill, I, I would love to be a good singer. That's one of the things it's like, you know, cause you can kind of take it everywhere. It's one of those amazing, amazing gifts to me, but, um, I'm, t- I'm a terrible singer, unfortunately. Uh, so, but I always, yeah, I always kind of wish I was so, but I, I did do some songwriting. I played the guitar and I, I kind of did everything. I ended up playing the guitar, bass, drums, did, uh, did different stuff for different, different things. Cool. Yeah. It's, um, I hadn't really thought about it when I was younger, but, um, I heard somebody say recently that you're, you know, those who sing, they take their instrument with them everywhere they go. They don't need anything else. They can just bust it out. Yeah. It's amazing. It's an amazing gift. So, I mean, all that kind of gets you into the, to the writing mindset. When did you first find yourself doing, doing writing professionally? What would that first job look like? That is a good question. I I don't actually even, I don't even actually remember. I don't even actually remember the first thing, I guess. It must've been after I graduated, I graduated from college and I always thought I ended up pursuing a degree in literature and always thought I would teach college level um, literature. And at some point I realized that while I really love literature, I really hate teaching. <laughs> uh, so that, that didn't like, uh, the, my two things didn't line up very well. Um, and so I was working at a bike shop and I really liked that, but it, it kind of, there was a, a, a creative aspect that, that wasn't, wasn't there. Although I, I did, I did find out that I really like to sell things and especially things that I find useful. Like, you know, I'm really passionate about bicycles. So I've, it was an easy thing for me to sell and help like connect people to solutions, mm-hmm. which I think is a pretty directly applicable to what I do now. Yeah. But while I was there, I, I kind of moon, I did some moonlighting for a couple of different local publications and I'd write about bicycling issues or highlight a person or I, I did a, a little bit of that. I think that's the first thing I can remember ever being paid for. But yeah, I think that's the first thing I remember being paid for. And this was all while you were at the bike shop? Yeah, I ended up, after after I graduated, I ended up managing a shop for four years while I was kind of figuring myself out. And uh, I never really figured it out. And, <laughs> and, and so I, uh, I started a branding company. So did you find yourself maybe playing the role, the, uh, anything that sort of felt like a marketing or persuasion kind of role for the bike company? Or was it just just happened to be the the daytime gig while you were moonlighting with the other stuff. Yeah, I definitely found I was the one who was contacting designers to get t-shirts made or hats. Um, I was thinking about advertisements and at this point was kind of like early, early, we were thinking like, you know, should we start a Facebook account? (laughs) That that sort of era. (laughs) And so I was thinking about that. Um, And, um, but the, the cool thing was uh, the owner of the shop, I think he, he had the, what I, what I look now as, as a manager, what I look back on now, I think he had the foresight to kind of help me pursue some outside interests. And there was a citywide event that had started called bike Lexington and he helped me become involved. And so I was in, ended up planning this citywide event with a group of folks. And that's when I really started to figure out what I really liked to do and, and, and help get people kind of excited about this bigger idea. And, um, and at at the time I met my future business partner and he was doing a a music event. And so we both, we started off with the idea that maybe we would do, it actually Bullhorn wasn't, wasn't a branding agency to start off with. It was more, uh, it was too, well, it was 2008, fall of 2008 and no one was hiring and we both wanted to do something different. So we, we had to start a company basically. (laughs) And so we started this company and we kind of said we would do anything and we had some, some strange jobs. Um, but it it stemmed from this, this idea that we, you know, he was super passionate about music and bringing especially kind of underground music to people who wouldn't otherwise hear it. And I was, I was passionate about bicycling and it's kind of, how do you convey it's not just event promotion, I don't think, but how do you kind of convey an idea and how do you convey the passion for an idea uh, to people who aren't, who maybe aren't looking for it? I think that, that's, that was kind of the seed of, of what started Bullhorn. What was the thing that, and maybe it was just the need of the market, but um, that like you needed a job and the market didn't have one for you. Yeah. But, but what was the thing that like pushed you guys over the edge to say, all right, now we're going to do this. We're just going to do our own thing. What, what kind of 
maybe gave you the confidence or inspired you to take that, that leap? Looking back, it seems like utter foolishness is, is, is the main thing that comes to mind. Well, that's definitely the right answer <laughs> <laughs> from one entrepreneur to another. I mean, it just seems like a miracle that, um, that there, you know, we're sitting here now and there are 14 of us and, you know, payroll keeps happening. Um, that's, that's sort of a joke, but, um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, there was a, just a, a string of decisions. I don't know what the, the core of the idea, I think both, both of us, um, we probably suffered from overconfidence and that's, that's, I think what made it so surprising to a lot of folks that were still around and, and that probably speaks more to, you know, persistence and, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. L looking back, it does seem it's, it's hard to imagine given what I know now at that time and period and, and knowing like what we would have to go through that it's, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, I think, I don't know if, if we knew that, if we knew everything, the good thing, maybe, maybe ignorance is the big thing that pushed us over the edge. I don't know if we knew everything that we would do it. Man, I think that's totally true. And also like maybe true of just about every big decision in life. <laughs> yeah. 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 Same thing. Like, yeah, exactly. Any, any other big life um, moment, whether it's like a house or uh, kids or family or whatever. So maybe talk us through um, what your role looks like today at Bullhorn. What, what maybe uh, if there is such a thing, what a typical day or week or month um, looks like for you personally. Sure. It's, um, that's a good one. And my role has really pretty dramatically changed over the last 12 to 18 months. You know, I kind of started off thinking I would write these really funny ad copy and you know, I just, and I never do anything that even remotely resembles that now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's see, I guess in my role is we, we have a little bit of a hard time with titles here with, um, you know, figuring out what the appropriate the appropriate language is for us. Um, so we have, we have five total partners. There are four, four active partners. My original business partner has stepped back and he's pursuing several other things. And so one of, one of my partners had a heads up the, the account side, one's the creative director and the other one heads up business development. And so that I, I kind of end up being the glue that kind of works across everything. And so I help, mm -hmm. I, I end up finding myself in on, on any day working across from something like brand strategy, talking through, you know, specific design decisions. Um, I, I end up doing a lot of presentations. I'll present work, uh, presenting to boards. I, I still actually, I, I mentioned earlier from my bike shop days, figuring out that, you know, selling isn't, isn't that a dirty word that you, you can actually, it's actually some, some things good about it. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I find myself going out, doing presentations. Um, and then now I actually do a fair amount of writing, thinking about more more like thinking pieces, kind of what's our perspective on the industry? What trends do we see? You know, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And then also, I guess the big thing, and this is, uh, I, I head up all naming projects, which is kind of a unique, it's, it, it's, it's, we don't do it a ton. We probably get uh, maybe a half dozen projects a year. And so I would head up any, any naming projects. And, and one fun thing that I've recently been doing, and I think I like it because I kind of like new challenges, is putting together a naming course. And so I've been thinking through mm. uh, how, how to do that. And so I've written this kind of five-part course and we're in the production phase. And um, so that's, that's been a unique challenge, thinking about, okay, how do I do it? How would I tell someone else how to do it who doesn't have my assumptions? And, and those are such you know, interesting and unique challenges to try to communicate something that is kind of a, to kind of bring a process to something that from the outside people would think is, is really nebulous and kind of abstract, like coming up with mm -hmm. a name. Nice. Um, so that's, that's, that's what I would do kind of week to week, month to month. Cool. So tell us a little bit about Bullhorn as an agency, kind of how big you guys are and, and kind of what your, what your goals are. Sure. There are 14 of us now. We have we're mainly located in Lexington, Kentucky, and we have uh, now kind of a satellite office in Washington, D.C. Our goals, uh, you know, this year we 
in the last, I guess the last 18 months, we've done a lot of introspection and planning work. And so this is kind of an interesting year of where we're trying to just stick with the plan. Uh, I think it, from our perspective, it's it's really tempting to kind of constantly tinker with stuff. So we're trying to, mm-hmm. we're trying to resist the urge to kind of constantly tinker and we're kind of sticking to a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we have some financial goals, of course. Uh, but I think the, the big thing is, is we want to, f- we feel like we haven't done our best work yet. And so we think that that's kind of the big thing that pushes us forward is, you know, what sorts of clients can we work with best with what people could we work best with? What sort of project would it be? Um, you know, what's exciting to us? What can we, how can we add value to the world? You know, those, those sorts of, I think bigger questions are what, are what we're kind of uh, thinking through and wrestling with now. Do you feel like you've zeroed in on the the client type or the industry or the project type that, that you guys are most excited about or maybe most uh, well shaped or prepared for? We do, I think we do pretty well with project type. You know, we really want to work on the, the language and the design systems that, that bring about these, uh, you know, I, I kind of hem and haul around the language because we call ourselves a branding company, but that can be so misleading because so many different sorts of companies call themselves branding agencies. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, so I kind of like, you know, the, the, and as a language person, I kind of, you know, sweat those things. So, you know, mostly what we do is we help organizations think about themselves in a clear way. We help them then talk about themselves more clearly. And then inevitably there are design problems that we need to work out to help kind of bring in alignment with this uh, new thinking and, and language system. And so I, probably most often it would be called a brand refresh and we, you know, we make things like brand, mm-hmm. ma- brand manuals, et cetera. And then uh, from their marketing materials that they, that they need, depending on the size of organization. Um, now f- focusing on the types of organization, we're not, we're not very good at that. Uh, and we haven't, we haven't done that yet. Um, we work for everything from startups, probably the the main sort of folks that we work with would be these mid-sized organizations who are for whatever reason at a turning point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it could be uh, a service provider who's, you know, they've been really successful for 25 years and now they have a new president or a new kind of core offering and they want to try to try to re-articulate that. And so we do quite a bit of work with those, those kind of small to mid-sized organizations, but we work with, we do some university work and we've worked for some really large companies too, uh, across basically pretty much all, all of the the verticals that you could name. So that's, that's something we're putting a lot of thought into is there, could we do ourselves more justice and our clients more justice if we were more focused or is it okay to focus on, on a product offering from our end and, you know, work with lots of different sorts of companies. So this is a question that um, some of our listeners have uh, encouraged me to to ask of guests. So since you're a, a business owner too, I think this is especially a good one for you, but the question is always around size and growth and mm-hmm. scale. So I'm kind of curious, you know, if you're kind of at that mid teen size, is that, do you feel like that's kind of capped off for you or is that, um, you know, adding a couple people every year or, and, you know, regardless of what your feeling is just kind of curious to add and why (laughs) to the end of that answer. Yeah. Yeah. We've thought about that quite a bit. Um, because now culturally it, it feels pretty good. This size, you, you know, you, you have a pretty close relationship with all the people you work with and we can all, you know, easily fit in one reasonable sized room, which is, which is kind of fun and nice. Mm -hmm. And so to add, you know, personally, I'm the side that, gives me the most grief. I just don't really love the the management side, the kind of personnel management side. And so having like bigger and more and more people isn't a, isn't really very attractive to me just kind of to, cir- to circle back. I think though, I basically, I think we really haven't kind of met our potential yet. So I think if, if we were to add people, it would be because it was something that we didn't feel like we could do well currently. Mm-hmm. 
but I, you know, I feel like we, we can do quite a few bigger projects at the size we are now. Um, and you know, none of us really came from business backgrounds none of us came from agency backgrounds. So we're really, you know, we're still figuring, figuring it out and like screwing a lot of stuff up. So, um, <laughs> you know, we don't want to, we don't want to grow too fast. Um, but, you know, we, because we want it to happen, we want it to happen naturally. And, and that, uh, that appeals to us. We feel like we've, we've spent a lot of time working on creative process, of course, you know, which kind of has to happen first. And then most recently spending a lot of time on, on business process and really just really are just now understanding the basics of how the business works. So right now I think it would be hard for me to justify saying, you know, we want to double in size in so many months or whatever. That's just not really what drives me. It's more the, uh, the, I guess the, the quality and the, the, um, interesting projects is what drives us. So you guys have, um, you know, it sounds like worked with a lot of different types of clients. What do you think makes for a really great client for Bullhorn? Um, a client that, that doesn't request any revisions. Is that, is that a, <laughs> is that a category? No, that, um, I, you know, I think what we work on a lot is through, throughout the whole process, really starting from business development is we think a lot about how to instill trust and, and that has a lot to do with making sure that we're pitching for the right sort of work and that we're selective with the clients that we pursue. Um, because it's, it really, it really starts there and being clear what sort of, what sort of, um, relationship that they expect. So, you know, if, and I, and I'm sure you've, you've experienced that in relationships where there's, where there's trust, just, it, it kind of sets the whole foundation for just for more interesting solutions. Um, it sets for, you can, the, the whole process I think is, is a little bit richer starting from with the research. You feel like you can go a little bit further and deeper. And when you pursue concepts, when you're in, when you're writing copy, you can be a little bit riskier with the language and they'll kind of walk out there with you. Same thing with all the visual side, you know, they may be willing to pursue something that's a little bit more aggressive or something that they're uncomfortable with. But if you've established over time that you're, you know, you're in it because you want them to be successful. If, you know, if that, if that, comes across, I think that there's an inherent, there's an inherent trust and that good stuff can happen. Do you feel like your best clients have come from, you know, like inbound leads or from events or from networking or referrals? I'm just kind of curious where, where you feel like those, those best connections and best clients uh, originate. I think most of our good clients come from referrals, they see some work out in the world that they like, find out who did it and come to us and, and ask. So they're kind of teed up for something that's going to be a little bit more, uh, well, something more in line with our, like our approach. Uh, and, and I think looking through, looking through our work, you know, we're, we want to kind of push it a little bit and do something that's kind of visually and verbally interesting. And like a lot of folks, you know, we think, if you sound like the competition, you know, you're just kind of washed in with the competition. So, um, we, we want to help folks stand out. So I think people are teed up more if they see something that they like, because they're already, they're already thinking in a certain sort of way about themselves and about their company. And, and I think their vision for where they could go is a certain sort of vision to where if it's, a, if it's networking or a friend of a friend, you know, they're not always teed up in the right sort of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. What about maybe some, some red flags? So there, there are definitely some, some trigger words that, that we've got in our agency of when a prospect, for instance, uses the word just to say, well, I just need a logo or mm. I just need a brochure. So just for me is, is one of those red flag trigger words. Just curious if there's anything that you guys in particular watch out for. Uh, that the just one is really good. I had never thought about that, but that's, uh, yeah, that's a great one. Um, I think we try, we try, we, I, I, we, we try, especially through the, 
through the business development phase, I, can, I think I can't emphasize how important it is to start at the very beginning when you're when you're still kind of pursuing the work in pursuing someone that wants an actual partner. Uh, that, that seems like the big thing for us mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know, if when they kind of think of you as like a graphic design tool, that's when things really get bad and you end up kind of micromanaged. So we we try to f- do the best we can to to seek out any red flags that are, you know, we, and, and I, now I'm going to say it. I'm, it's, they're all going to be just phrases probably. <laughs> um, so I think our our new one is that when people say just, that's our uh, that's our red flag. <laughs> You're welcome to co-op that. I'm totally fine with that. I know you've kind of talked around this a little bit, but I'm curious what your favorite what your favorite things to work on are, especially coming from the the language side of things. Does does naming energize you, or do headlines energize you, or voice, or just kind of curious on that side i i right now name naming is the most energizing thing creatively um and i and it's hard to say that because really you know figuring out how to do how to uh pull the right profit and loss report is kind of a in my opinion a creative act and so there's a certain amount just like running the business i'm trying to figure out how i could how i can approach that in a creative way which is really sort of gratifying to me right mm-hmm. now because I didn't, you know, I didn't take any business classes. My, the most uh, complicated math class I took in college was called college math. Um, you, you can kind of imagine <laughs> the sort of, uh, the sort of caliber that, uh, that that was. So, so that's, that's just uh, running the business, running the business and thinking about how to do that and build a place where people feel empowered to work and where you can in some ways realize your vision of the world, I think is something that's super exciting. And in no, in no ways I, am I trying to say that we're there or we're a model for that, but you know, you see models of it out in the world and you want to, you want to replicate it. But through in the actual work we do for clients, definitely naming is the one I'm most excited about right now because it's the most distilled, I think, um, you know, it's such a potent part of the brand. It's, it, it's kind of the, you know, tip of the iceberg or whatever tip of the spear, whatever kind of metaphor you want to use there. Yeah. So that, that's the thing I think that, that makes me most, most excited. Well, speaking of the power of words, we've just sort of arbitrarily decided that we're now in season two. Oh, great. <laughs> and so, uh, first of all, congrats on being in season two. And then as a, uh, you know, maybe a, a frequently asked question here in this new season, I'm really curious, you know, especially for fellow business owners about what, what other things you do, what hobbies you have. And, you know, if you were going to grade yourself on being able to pull yourself away from, from the business of the branding agency, how, how good you are at, um, you know, finding time for, for other things to keep you busy. That's not work. Sure. That's, that's a really interesting one. I, I, there are a couple, I have a couple of things. One, I have two six-year-olds. And so that's kind of like a whole, um, that's like a part Mm. second full-time job. (laughs) Um, (laughs) wow. Second and third, I think. (laughs) Second and third. Yeah. So that's, it's really, I mean, it's really awesome. Um, but it's also really challenging. Um, I have, I have two sons, one, I have a biological and an adopted son and they're very different. And so Mm. it's, it's, and it's also, it's just, it's just challenging emotionally and uh, intellectually and and it's physically very challenging. (laughs) I'm just tired. Um, but, uh, so there, there's that side of it. And then of course, through that, trying to have a relationship that you like with your partner, and try to figure out how to put the time in and be present there is another big challenge. And then from there, from there, things that I like to do, I, you know, I like to be active. I still really like to, to do as much bicycling as possible. And I like to do a couple races a year, Mm -hmm. just to have a reason to, to kind of get out there and train and put in the time. Uh, but so I think I, I would grade myself like right now. I think I'm doing great, but we, I'm in this group, uh, of, 
other business owners and we just read the biography of, uh, or not, a, yeah, it was a biography of Elon Musk. And so uh, it made me think maybe I'm doing too well. Like I, this guy works like a hundred hours a week <laughs> and, you know, so it kind of makes you rethink like what's, I, I don't know, what's the, what's the balance and how, I, so I, th I think right now, like I, to me, it, my, my family is super important. And also it's really important to me to have some private, some time to be alone because a lot of my time is pretty intense socially. So it's really important to me to have time alone and especially time pre preferably when I'm active to kind of help recharge my brain. And mm -hmm. I think that's when I really think the best and it helps me kind of be energized about the other stuff. So I don't, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm a good solid B student when it comes to that. Yeah. Excellent. B is a very, a very passing grade. That's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, but I think a big challenging thing is thinking about after reading this Elon Musk thing, which is I'd, I'd recommend just because it's, it's interesting what he does run so counter to the, a lot of what you hear about. It seems like it's, it's common now to be thinking about emotional intelligence and work-life balance. And, and he doesn't have either of those like at all. So think, think, thinking about, um, <laughs> so I don't know, it's just, it's interesting. It brings, it brings up some interesting points and in what's, you know, what's the right, what's the right thing. So if you're running a business, I'd recommend reading it, thinking about it. Yeah. Interesting. So definitely check that out. So you're going to have to fill me in on this drifting thing. So I found that note somewhere, uh, maybe mm. from one of your coworkers and I'm, I'm really curious to hear about this. Well, there are kind of two different things going on. One, our creative director, Adam, he actually had drifting cars. Uh, and, and so he would, you know, take, buy a totally working, sensible car and then take it apart and put it back together into a barely functional, non-sensible car. Uh, and that's kind of one of his big hobbies. But um, in addition to that, my, I have also have a recent drifting story. And so I'm, I'm a founder, founding board member of a nonprofit here called Broke Spoke. And our thing is uh, we, we want to help people have better access to better bikes and then also be able to maintain bikes. And so you can come in. There are eight workstations. There are also bikes that you can purchase that are used bikes. And so everything, everything is you have to pay for for the either the services or the things that you buy. But the the what how you pay is is negotiable. So if you don't have money, you can donate time for $8 an hour. Mm. Um, and there are some, some reasons why we did that, which is kind of a side issue, but we have a local brewery who's where we were located within the same kind of warehouse that, that they operate. And they do a thing, they do a thing called six for a cause where they donated a portion of their proceeds mm -hmm. on, on uh, one of the busiest Saturdays in May and they donated to us. And so they, all they asked us to do is something fun. And so we bought these adult tricycles, like adult big wheels and had drift trike races, which was <laughs> awesome, um, by the way. And I'll, I, we did a little promo video for it. I'll send it to you. You can stick it in the liner notes if, if it's appropriate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it was it was super fun. And we called it a fundraiser. So we didn't actually raise money, but trying to try to generate fun. And uh, so it was it was it was actually really great. That's so that's that's my drifting story is. Not so much like muscle cars, but, um, tricycles. Nice. That's awesome. I can just imagine like all of the, the red dirt getting kicked up in Kentucky. Yeah. Right. In this case, it was in a warehouse. It was, it, it was made it kind of crazier because it was in, uh, the, the concrete was pretty polished. So, so, oh, so like it was slick. slick. Yeah. So it was really hard to kind of keep it together. It was just an oval. Um, but it was, people were all over the place. <laughs> That's great. I feel like I am having flashbacks of uh, riding my big wheel uh, when I was about five or six years old. And that yeah. sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. If you ever make it down here, we'll do it. Nice. All right. Um, that's on my <laughs> list now. So, so you're going to have to tell me about this project you were telling me about that you had a chance to do some Sonic branding. Yeah. How'd that get happen? Uh, yeah, that's a really, it was a really interesting project. And I, we, this is a good case, or it's kind of a good case study for the sort of work that we're really excited about. Uh, it was kind of multifaceted, complex. And also we were trying to solve sort of a complicated problem. 
Um, so uh, there's an organization in Louisville, Kentucky, which is the midway point basically between Lexington and Indianapolis. And they, uh, this organization operates three radio stations. They op- operate kind of the NPR news affiliate. They operate a contemporary rock station and then they operate a classical station. And they're in this interesting transitional period. You know, if you think about how you consume that sort of media now, it's not not all that often that you're just tuning into a radio station. And so, you know, they're finding they're in this kind of like halfway point, this kind of an increasingly digital age where there are some people who may listen to it in the car. But then, you know, maybe you're on a on a run and you're listening to a podcast or you're sitting at your desk listening to, you know, Spotify or something. And so the, their specific problem was the, the issue is people had donated just straight through the stations. So the station would have a funding drive. And, you know, if you're really passionate about this kind of this specific way of having news delivered, then you would donate to them because you want to keep keep it happening. But when you transition to that digitally, it doesn't really make sense because the call numbers and the call names don't have the same sort of gravity. Um, and they they really don't even they don't really even translate totally. And so before there were these three mm-hmm. independent stations and no one really knew that they all were related back to this parent company, Louisville Public Media. And so we helped them put together sort of a transitional identity that would help bring the three radio stations and then really bring awareness and draw a more direct comparison to, or draw a more direct line back to the parent company, Louisville Public Media. And so the visual identity follows from that idea that there's, these are really particular children brands. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so some of the ways we help do that, of course, through design and then through, they, they also have this interesting thing where at the end of every segment or at the end of every half an hour, they say something and then there's the opportunity to play a little fragment or a little kind of like bit of music. And so we helped refine the language that they were using so that the the structure of the thing was the same in each station. So you kind of draw unconscious cues that if you're listening to classical and then the next morning you're interested, you know, you're listening to news, you might realize that they talk about themselves in the same kind of way, even though it doesn't sound exactly the same, because part of what makes them interesting is this independence. So you're kind of independent from the, the influence of advertisers, mm-hmm. but also the DJs have a certain amount of independence and we didn't want them to lose their unique voice. And so we provided this structure. And so that's part of the sonic branding is the language, but also we worked with a musician in Louisville named Brad Cassetto, who's also a audio designer and has a thing called sounder audio. Mm-hmm. And he does pretty amazing work. And he, he helped, we went through several little, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to try to really develop the right, because it, it's really six notes or so, you know, it's very short. And so kind of figuring out what are the right little things. And then now they've, they've built it out to where each of the stations have different phrases of the same little snippet of music. So the, there might be a, an acoustic guitar or a banjo or a violin, or it's played out on a piano. Uh, and so it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was a really interesting kind of cool multifaceted project that was, it was fun for us because it, it kind of like, it challenged our brains on all of the, all the right sort of wavelengths. You know, it was, it was difficult account management because it's, it's a nonprofit, large nonprofit organization. And so just getting the decision makers into the right place in the right space was a challenge. Uh, it was complicated visually because they had some, some brand equity, but not much. And then solving this other larger issue of how do they transition into the digital age was, uh, you know, it was a really interesting kind of from a brand strategy point of view. Um, so, you know, more projects like that's definitely where, where we want to be. Yeah, that's really cool. I love, um, you know, from a, from a visual branding standpoint, when you can have, you know, beyond just a logo, when you can actually have a true visual system where the pieces kind of work interchangeably and, you know, you don't, it's not just about stamping the logo on a thing. And I feel like that's, um, that example is sort of the audio version of that, that same idea where it's not just playing the the Intel chimes, yeah. it's, you know, having something that's flexible and, and works with their different, uh, different partners. Right. Yeah. And it, you know, it was, it was fun to see kind of where it, where it went and they've, 
they've really embraced it internally and are there they have kind of internal uh, designers and folks who are really running with it now and it's cool to see them running and then shortly after the project was finished it was picked up on brand new and you know three or four people really liked it and everyone else hated it so that was pretty awesome <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah. that's about par for the yeah. brand new course yeah, right. really it was the it was the worst thing anyone yeah. had ever done so that was cool yeah congratulations yeah thanks so maybe on the flip side, tell us about something you're really proud of professionally. What's, what's maybe your, your proudest professional moment. Hmm. Or maybe it's getting shot down on brand new. Maybe that was your, <laughs> that was your proudest good. moment. Um, this, you know, I was thinking about naming and this is, it's kind of, this, this is, um, straddles my proud, uh, personal professional. So someone asked me recently what, uh, what, uh, my, one of my favorite company names was because I've been, I've been thinking about it a lot and, you know, they were just interested in mm -hmm. what my take was. And so about two years ago, one of my sons was really into making these little, like, uh, you know, he'd buy these big boxes of beads and then make little kind of stretch bracelets or necklaces. And, um, he decided that there was a thing here called the night market and there was a Christmas edition of the night market. And he decided that he was going to start a company and sell these things at the night market. And, uh, so I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. Um, and I, you know, I was pretty excited because at this point I was like, okay, I'm going to get to name this thing. I'm going to think up an awesome name. You know, it's going to be cool. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And his name's George. And I said, George, we need to think a lot about this because the name's important. And he's like, I already have a name. It's like, you already have a name. You know, how, how is, how is that? And he's like, yeah, I already have a name. Don't worry about it. Um, and so, but we kind of go on and I'm like, okay, so what's, what's the name? He's like, it's, uh, it's going to be called George's jewels. And I'm like, George, George's jewels. <laughs> All right. Um, and so I, you know, and I, I think there are several things that are really awesome about this name. <laughs> One, you know, kind of from a literal standpoint, it's like, okay, it's these, it's not actually jewels. They're little like plastic trinkets, let's face it. But so it's this yeah, kind of like right. hyperbole, which is funny. And then there's this like vague, vaguely appropriate thing about George's jewels, uh, which kind of, I, I think it kind of draws people in and, and, and there's kind of this, okay, so what is this? And then when you get up to it and then, you know, this five-year-old's trying to sell you this piece of jewelry. And then he tells you that like all of his proceeds from the, from the uh, sales are going to go to this organization called Kentucky Refugee Ministries, who helps resettle refugees from more torn places, which is something that he decided. Uh, I, that was, that was probably my proudest moment because he thought of a, an awesome mm -hmm. name. Uh, and he outsourced all of his labor to me and his brother and his, and his mom. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then, and then kind of went through it and had this cool idea and got people interested and sold, you know, $200 worth of these kind of crappy little bracelets and gave all the money to, uh, to these refugees. So I thought that was really cool. That's probably my proudest professional slash personal moment. That is really awesome. So this is a question I always ask our, our design guests, um, and I'm guessing you'll be able to, to hang with this one too, but I'm curious what you find that you are most obsessed with right now. And this could be personally, professionally, but, but what's that thing that you just, uh, are fixated on right now? Um, I think the thing I'm most fixated with is how how does your overall, the kind of overarching vision of what your life is, how does that play into your business and how you are at business and what your business vision is? And that all totally gets back to that, uh, again, that Elon Musk book, because mm -hmm. he has this overarching vision of like, he has to put, you know, kind of keep the uh, human species alive by sending them to Mars. And, and so, and while I'm, that's not my vision and I'm not particularly interested in that, I, um, it does raise some pretty big questions to you. Like why, you know, why, why am I doing this? What, um, you know, do, does the work we do matter and how does it matter and how can we make it matter in more profound ways? And, you know, how, how can we find clients that are more in line with our values and do better work to help them succeed? So that's, that's something that I'm, I'm pretty interested in and I would say obsessed with, um, currently. Very cool. That's a good answer, man. That's, uh, that's like another one of those human things though. Like yeah. the, the search for meaning and why am I here and how do I, 
how do I make sure the stuff that I'm spending so much time on it day in and day out is actually contributing to something positive. Right. And it's one of those things that you almost hesitate to talk about because it's like so cliche. But on the other hand, it's so important that if you don't talk about it, I mean, you have to talk about it, but, how, you know, figuring out how to do it in a meaningful way, um, because you're right, you know, you spend, you know, I'm here 50 or something, however many hours a week. And then outside of here, I think about it, how many more additional hours a week, you know, so it's, it's a big chunk of my, my mental life. And how can I, how, how can I spend that in the best, in the best possible way that's, you know, that's meaningful. Is there anything in particular, again, speaking of creative cliches, maybe this is <laughs> right. the biggest one. Is there anything in particular that you go to or think of um, or focus on for, for inspiration? I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot too. And one thing I've really challenged our team to, I think designers are, I think designers are especially bad at becoming kind of in, insular and having um, design that's influenced by design that was influenced by other design, which was influenced by other design. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I'm on each project, I'm really challenging our team to, you know, how do you think about how, what other people tackle these problems? Or, you know, like if we listen to this particular piece of music, does this do something for us? Or is there another type of mm -hmm. art? Uh, so I think, I've mainly been challenging us to kind of think outside of our industry when we, when we're bringing energy to projects. Cause it's just, you know, when you get to a certain point in your career, you can keep designing logos that people will be happy with. And I think the challenge is, is mm -hmm. how do you, how do you kind of push past that? It's kind of a big question mark. How do you do it? And what does it look like? And, um, and so I, I yeah, I think that's, that's kind of a big one. Like what a, it's, it's more like what, I guess the answer isn't so much as this is where we go to, but we're trying to push outside of where we normally, where we normally think of inspiration for these particular, for our, for our projects and trying to, trying to push it as, yeah. as broad as possible. That's good. I'm curious what your, what your favorite piece of advice is that you've ever received, or maybe what's one of your favorite pieces of advice to pass along to, um, young team members. One of the funniest pieces of advice I ever got was I was about to get, I uh, was when we, my wife and I were getting married and her dad kind of pulled me aside and, you know, it was one of these really kind of, you know, it was one of those intense moments. Um, and he's like, you know, I want to give you a piece of advice that, that my father-in-law gave to me. And so I was really prepped for this, you know, this is gonna be life changing. I'm, I'm going to latch onto this. I was like, okay, cool. And by the way, you know, he, he really likes to get up early, several hours earlier than I do. And so I woke up kind of on his time frame, stumbled out of bed, drank several cups of coffee. So I'm in kind of a, a heightened emotional <laughs> state. And, and he, and he looked at me and said, buy a used Chrysler. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, buy a used Chrysler. Uh, and so and he's like, yep, you know, buy a used Chrysler. You know, they're good cars. The person who buys a Chrysler, you know, is going to take care of it and they're going to give you a good deal. <laughs> so that's my, I, I don't know. For some reason, that's whenever someone asks me that, that's the first thing that always pops to my mind, even though it's not particularly helpful. Um, I find it hilarious. Oh, I love that. That is awesome. But I think for the work we do, the best piece of advice I got, and it was from a book, and I wish I could remember the title of the book, but it's a book about creativity. And they, they're talking about, and, and you may know it, but it's this particular anecdote about a pottery class. And the, the teacher divided the class into two, into two parts. And one part was to be graded on their best piece that they made over the course of the semester. And the other class was to be graded upon how much all of the pottery that they made weighed. So it was the, per the person who made the mm. most stuff got the best grade. And, the, you know, the long, the long story short is that the person who made the most stuff also made all of the best stuff. How interesting. Um, so I, I like, you know, create creatively. I think that's something that we stick to 
And we think about that all the time, how to like make more and more because, you know, your first thought's going to be probably sort of obvious. And the next one is going to be derivative of that. And the third one is going to be derivative of something you saw on TV or whatever. And so it's not until you make, you know, several things, do you get to anything that's getting to be interesting? So I think the best advice and the thing that I try to talk to young designers about or young writers or anyone is, is, you know, throw a lot, throw away a lot more than you show anyone else. Mm, that's really good. I will, um, I will definitely be passing that story yeah. along. <laughs> well, before we let you go here, maybe tell us a little bit about, um, everywhere that they can, can track you guys down online and find you personally and, and learn more about Bullhorn. Sure. We are, uh, we're, we're online, the various social places at, uh, that we're at, we are Bullhorn. And I am available intermittently on Twitter at Bullhorn Brad. <laughs> a bit streaky. A bit streaky. On Instagram, you can't find me at all because I only post pictures of my kids that my friends can see. <laughs> and um, if you want to send me an email, that's probably the best. Uh, or just give me a call. Emails brad at bullhorncreative.com. Beautiful. Love it. Well, Brad, it's been awesome learning more about you and learning more about Bullhorn. And um, unless I'm forgetting somebody, I think you might be our first pure writer on the show. So that's great. So thanks for uh, for crossing that milestone with us. Yes. And season two. I mean, that's like you kind of, you you know, yeah. you, the, the pit, the concept is out there, the, <laughs> you know, everyone's into it. It's craziness. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's going wild. Well, um, this has been fun and, uh, I appreciate you being on the show and thanks for being obsessed with design. Okay, guys, that's episode number 71 in the books for all of today's show notes, head over to obsessedshow.com. Obsessed with design is a product of the design obsessed team at miles Herndon, head over to milesherndon.com to learn more. Who else would you like to hear on season two? We're trying to make these episodes more conversational and more personal and just try to delve into the human element of working in the creative industry. Who would you like to hear next? Tweet at Josh Miles or at Obsessed Show and make a suggestion. Of course, we are always edited by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. And let us know what you think of the new intro music. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. See you next time.